0: So today we're shaking things up ever so slightly with our gospel reading being our first reading today. Our gospel reading today will be from the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I have desired to gather your children together as a hen gathering her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when I say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The word of God for the people of God.
1: Praise the Lord. (laughs) I'm reading this morning the 27th Psalm, and uh, I'm reading it from the Good News Bible, which happened to be over there in front of my chair. (laughs) Instead of I'm going to not bring up the message today. Uh, Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. I will fear no one. The Lord protects me from all danger. I will never be afraid. When evil people attack me and try to kill me, they stumble and fall. Even if a whole army surrounds me, I will not be afraid. Even if enemies attack me, I will trust in God. I have asked the Lord for one thing, one thing only do I want, to live in the Lord's house all my life, to marvel there at his goodness and to ask for his guidance. In times of trouble, he will shelter me. He will keep me safe in his temple and make me secure on a high rock. I will triumph over my enemies around me. With shouts of joy, I will offer sacrifices in his temple. I will sing. I will praise the Lord. Hear me, Lord, when I call to you, be merciful and answer me. When you said, come, worship me, I answered, I will come, Lord, don't hide yourself from me. Don't be angry with me, don't turn your servant away. You have been my help, don't leave me, don't abandon me, O God, my Savior. My father and mother may abandon me, but the Lord will take care of me. Teach me, Lord, what you want me to do, and lead me along a safe path. Because I have many enemies. Don't abandon me to my enemies who attack me with lies and threats. I know that I will live to see the Lord's goodness in this present life. Trust in the Lord. Have faith. Do not despair. Trust in the Lord. The Word of God for the people of God. God. All right. So it's not our
2: gospel reading that we are going to do now. Corey read our gospel reading earlier. We're going to read from Genesis 15, and we're going to go verses 1 through 12 and then hop down some. So Genesis 15, starting with verse 1. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. And Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good? Are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all of my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. And then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who you will have an heir. And then the Lord said, took Abram outside and said, Look up into the sky and count the stars, if you can, how many your descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. And then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land of your possessions. And Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? And the Lord told him, bring me three heifer, a three-year-old and a female goat, and a one-year-old goat, and a turtle dove, and a pigeon. So Abram presented all these things, and they killed him. And he cut each one down in the middle and laid their house side by side. And he did not... However, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat them. And the sun was also going down, and Abram fell to sleep, and a terrifying darkness came upon him. Let's go down to verse 17. And after the sun went down and the darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch beneath the halves of the carcasses, so that the Lord made a covenant with Abraham that day and said, I've given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the Euphrates River and the land that now occupies the Kenites, the Kezites, the Carmenites, and the and all those ites. The word of God for the people of God. It went down like three more verses. Y'all didn't want to hear that, so. Um, But in the beginning of the Bible, in our book of Genesis, God creates the heavens and the earth. I'm going to pull that on down. And toward the end of the first chapter, he got around to making human beings in our image, God said. And at the end of the chapter, God looked around at everything that he made, and he said, look, behold, this is good. And then that's when things got more complex, right? That's where the story begins to turn in the book of Genesis. Human beings wanted to become like God, and they upset the harmony, the life of the communion and the intimacy with God. And then they were exiled from Eden, Cain killed his brother Abel, and then mistrust and enemies and and pain began to intensify there. And that's when things got a whole lot messier, right? And things got more corrupt, and things got more violent. God grieved and became heartbroken, and then at some point became angry, and he decided to start all over again, and he sent a flood. And he wiped out all the creatures on all of the earth, but he saved the righteous man, Noah, and his family. We remember that part, right? And then there was a new problem. As soon as the floodwaters receded, the old problem reemerged. The punishment had not worked, but God got adapted. We could say that God repented. Because he was determined to stay in relationship with humanity no matter what. He chose to renew his relationship with the humanity through Abraham, who, we, as we read in the text, who was still Abram at the time. And he came to Abraham, who was living in Haran, which is now Turkey, and he called to Abraham and Sarah to go on this journey that was unknown. God is always asking the people of God to move. He's he's calling us to act, and he's calling us to new places. And in that moment, God promised Abraham and Sarah that he would bless them, and he would make them a great nation. All the blessings and all the families of all the earth, he was giving that to them. But Abraham and Sarah still didn't have any children. Abraham was in his 70s, and it seemed impossible to him that they would have any children at all. But instead, they continued on this journey of hope. They began this journey of hope. And so that's where we come to today in our reading of today's text in Genesis. God appearing again to Abraham. It was years after that initial promise. Decades after that initial promise. And Abraham and Sarah were still childless. And Abraham was in his upper 80s, and they made some mistakes along the way. They had not always trusted God. They didn't. They didn't always do the right thing. But why should they continue to trust God? That was their question. And today's scene that we read was really a crisis a crisis of trust, and a crisis of faith for Abraham and Sarah. But God's first word to them was, fear not. And then God renewed his promise and the great reward. If I were Abraham, I'd probably think, okay, I'm frightened. I'm anxious about my future. I'm separated from my home and my people and all I know. I have no heir. And it doesn't really appear like anything is going to change. Nothing's happening here. How can I believe? How is it possible for me to believe what you're promising? How is it possible for me to believe in this reward? And Abraham basically said as much in his conversation with God, protesting that God had not delivered on his promises. And what does God do? The God of heaven doubled down on his promise and said, not only am I going to give you an heir, Abraham, but I'm going to give you an heir that is big as the stars in the heavens, as many as you can count. He said, look to the night skies, number the stars. You can't count them all, but those are your descendants. Your family will be enormous beyond your imagination. The promise got bigger, the promise got more outlandish, and he repeated it again. But this, this right here is the most remarkable moment of the text, is that Abraham in that moment didn't complain or object. He rather chose to believe, and he repented. He renewed his commitment to God, to orient his life around God's promises, even if the promises seem ludicrous, and they did. His wife was well past menopause. It didn't seem like this was possible, and despite what appeared like a dim chance, Abraham turned from his own understanding, his own understanding of reality, and he accepted the framing of the reality of the Almighty. We could let he could let God be in control. He could let God into his life and he could embrace mystery and he could embrace uncertainty. And Abraham would have to wait another dozen years, actually, to ever see Isaac come to fruition. And in that, Abraham becomes our model of faith and righteousness, but not because Abraham was perfect. He and Sarah had their doubts. They had failures. Yet they desired a right relationship with God. They cared about their relationship with God. And then they worked on their relationship with God. The righteous sin. The righteous fall away. The righteous doubt. We mistrust. We do things wrong. But we turn back to God. They turn back to God. And we continually and persistently renew our relationship with him. The righteous give and receive forgiveness and work towards reconciliation. Abraham's relationship with God is not unlike our own. It's not unlike mine. Anyone who seeks God gives room for God to where anyone in this room or anyone that tries to be in right relationship with God can look into the mirror in the morning and say, look, this is a righteous person in front of me. We can think of ourselves as righteous, not because we're perfect, not because we always trust, not because we're always on great terms with everyone around us, but because most of us desire, or at least parts of us desire, or at least parts of us want to desire that right relationship with God. We are striving towards being in a right relationship with God that's what Abraham did, that striving towards reconciliation. And that's how we can view ourselves as righteous. Besides recognizing ourselves as righteous, we also have to appreciate that great gift of faith that we've been given with it. How would we orient our lives or organize our lives without God? You ever thought about that? I mean, I could be a moralist, right? If I don't have God to orient my life, I could be a moralist and make everything a matter of right and wrong and good and bad. And I regret that sometimes Christianity is diminished to that, to our dogmatism, believing all the right things instead of just being about love and relationship and trust and commitment and hope. Earlier this morning, we prayed a prayer for Christ Church of New Zealand and the tragedy that occurred there that this morning the death toll told up to 50 people. And that mass murderer, well, he left a 75-page manifesto about his feelings on life and on immigration and about people that he considered other, different, not the same. Moralism? the inherent view of right and wrong and good and bad will inevitably lead to violence. Because when we see humans, other people, as less than how God sees them, when we see human beings on this earth in this giant game of us versus them, then the them eventually don't become people They don't become people that are made in the image of God when we don't see people like God sees them. That us versus them ends in violence. So if we don't order our lives like a moralist, then how do we order our lives? Well, we can order our lives according to capitalism or socialism or liberalism or conservatism. Oh, I'm saying a lot of isms. Humanisms, hedonism, materialism, individualism, skepticism or anything else, but instead we choose to follow Jesus. We choose to try to trust God, to hope in the future. We orient our lives by saying even things that are here and now and they seem bleak and dark, we trust God instead. That's how we orient our lives. For Paul, this conversation between God and Abraham is super important. Paul pointed out that Abraham's faith is not based upon goodness that we experience in this world, but so much more. It's faith based upon God's promise in spite of the way that they are here and now. That things will be better than we can imagine or comprehend. That God will eventually overcome all the horror and pain and difficulties in the here and now, and that he will make things new. Abraham showed us that faith has nothing to do with doctrine, but it's a way of life a life that is open to God, to receiving God, to giving to God, rather than trying to control or arrange the world, or rather than trying to satisfy our own selves. Faith is about being willing to journey into the unknown and to look for God in the people that we encounter, and to be grateful for God's presence there. Faith is about doing our best, risking things, making mistakes, and finding opportunity in the midst of our troubles. Yesterday, Corey and I and some friends painted our living room, our kitchen, and our hallway, like half our house, right? Like we basically painted half the house. Um, and when we first moved into the house that we live in, um, they like did a quick, horrible paint job and it was flat. So with two small children, I just ended up having handprints all over my, like literal I don't know if it's like they stuck their hands in grease and stuck it on the wall. But my house was filled with just little kids' handprints. And um, in the last month or so, I finally got frustrated enough to say, we have to paint the house, right? We have to do this. But I am not a good painter, uh, personally. I, I, I'm i confident, but I'm not good at it. Um I'm not good at DIY things. It's just not something I'm really good at. So I went into the project yesterday assuming all of these problems and issues that I was going to have before I even got started, right? I had a list of how this was going to go bad. And on the first wall where I was cutting in, I was extremely trepidatious and I was worried about getting it on the ceiling and getting it on the floor and everywhere how I was going to mess up. And after a few minor mistakes, Corey looked at me and he basically said, there is no mistake we cannot fix and anything is better than what we had. Just put it on the wall, right? Like, just do it. But it reminded me that faith is kind of like that. Faith is just jumping in despite not knowing what's going to happen. Faith is knowing that it might not end up perfect, that there might be flaws but knowing that you're creating something new, that you're making something beautiful, and that there's never something so broken that it can't be fixed or healed. Human beings don't always live the kind of faith of Abraham. We do sometimes. And Lent is about turning to that kind of faith and renewing it in our lives. Sometimes I get a little bit resentful and grim about Lent all being focused so much on repentance and how much we have to repent and change. But that's really not a helpful way to look at it. So we should flip it and reframe it. It's not an obligation or a burden, but it's good fortune that we are able to be a part of a community that turns our attention towards true north, that helps me and expects me to reorient my life back to God. This week, Eden came up to me and asked me what the largest magnet on Earth was. Does anybody know the answer to this? So the largest magnet on Earth, I had several answers, and I want you to guess which one is correct. The North Pole? No? The South Pole? I also said the equator? And eventually my answer was magma. No? None of those are right. Um, Eden, what's the largest magnet on Earth? The earth, the earth itself, it was a trick question, and I got owned by a seven-year-old, but anyway, the earth itself is the largest magnet on earth. So the north end of a compass is actually drawn to align with the whole earth's magnetic field. Because the earth's magnetic north pole attracts to the north end of other magnets, the north pole is actually the south pole of the magnetic field of the earth. Anyway, But the whole point in that is that the earth is pulling us into alignment in and of itself. That the earth pulls our compasses into true north. That it points us in the right direction. The earth itself is doing that. And to me, that's kind of what Lent is. It's just pulling us all in and pointing us where to go. Lent is calling us to remember our direction. But imagine somebody who can't find that direction, who can't repent. Imagine someone who has nowhere to turn for renewal. Imagine someone who has to construct their own purposes and identity and belonging without the church. Imagine someone who has little sense of acceptance of who they are. Imagine someone who feels that they have to prove their own worth. It seems so exhausting to me to do without. But here's the good news. We preached from Genesis Let's go back to the good news. The good news is that following Jesus means we repeatedly get to turn back to God. And we get to find ourselves again. We renew our, se- our sense of belonging in him. And we find ourselves in being cherished by him. As Christians, our identity involves the changing of our hearts and our minds, of growing and of learning on being that in that adventure of the unknown, but we can be sure of God's presence and care, and being taken under His wing like a mother hen. It's reordering our lives and trusting God's promise of love that no matter what, He is there, and that's good news. We are fortunate that we get to repent. We are fortunate that we live in a community that reminds us that repentance is the whole point of this faith, that reminds us of ourselves through repentance. And I'm grateful for that. Let us pray.